Merry Christmas, everyone. What a special time of year this is for for most of us. And, and for many of us, it's a very difficult time of year as well. And um, I'm glad that this, this time of year we're able to focus on the comfort of Christ coming into this world to bring rescue to us. Because in Jesus, we find hope. In Jesus, as we, we talk about these themes with Advent, we find joy, peace, hope, comfort, and love. And today we're going to talk about love coming down. As we sang earlier, love came down to rescue me. Love came down and set me free. I am yours. Jesus, I am forever yours. And this is what we celebrate during this season. Last week we talked about the light has come. And I encourage you to read through 1 John. As we looked at last week how uh, John says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And this week we're going to look at the, the other statement that John makes within his epistle in 1 John. And he says God is love. God is light and God is love. And these are two emphases that we have during this Christmas season. As we see the Christmas lights, let us be reminded that Jesus is the light of the world who stepped down into darkness. And as we experience the warmth of love and family and the joy of gift giving and, and, and the, the warmth of relationships around us during this season, let us be reminded that God is love. It was a theologian, Karl Barth, who's written a lot of, on theology and he was in 1962, giving a lecture at Rockefeller Chapel in, in Chicago. And afterwards, a student came up to him and asked him if he could summarize his whole life's work in theology in a sentence. And you know how he responded? He said, yes, I can. In the, in the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. So simple, yet so profound. And so life-changing when we get it. When we grasp, not only that God is love and God loves the world, but that God loves you and God loves me personally. He loves us. Amen? And so I've titled this message today, Love Came Down. Love Came Down. If you would open your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. The Christian life really is about love. God is love. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment from the Old Testament scripture? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Without love, we are nothing, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. And without love, it proves that one is without God, according to the Apostle John, as we're going to see today. 
There's no place in Christianity for being mean-spirited, resentful, bitter, hateful, and callous towards others. In some ways, the love of God is so simple, and yet it's so profound. And may we get a grasp of it today and be changed by it. Let us pray and we'll read 1 John 4. Father, as we open the pages of Scripture, would you open the eyes of our understanding to see how great your love is, to see what manner you have loved us with. And may it lead to transformation in our lives and may it lead us to loving others as you have loved us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. First John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone does, that does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this love, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son, his only son, into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Verse 14. And oh, I just read verse 14. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, the love, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has, whom he has not seen. I'm, let me, excuse me. He, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Here's our big idea this morning. The love of God has been revealed to us through the coming of Jesus, the son of God, into the world. To be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the effects of receiving this love is displayed in love for others. The love of God has been revealed to us through the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, Advent, the arrival, the coming of Jesus into this world. 
to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins and the effects of receiving this love is displayed in love for others. There's five things I want to point out here from this passage today. And the first one is that love originates from God. Love originates from God. In this passage, we see the apostle John, who was called the beloved disciple. He was a younger disciple, and he was one of Jesus's closest, one of the three who was near Jesus, who at the Last Supper laid his head on Jesus and got to hear the words of Jesus, and he was in an intimate relationship with Jesus in a healthy, pure way. And Jesus shared with him his heart. And in the gospel of John, we see John mentioning the word love 39 times. Okay, love's really important to the apostle John, I think because it's important to Jesus, right? It's the way of Jesus, right? And John got to see that up close. He 39 times he mentions the word love in the gospels, okay? And then in First John, we see that John mentions love 27 times. And that's because it's important. Love is something that every Christian is called to major on because love originates from God. He says, let us love one another for love is from God. He says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Now, notice that John seems to be emphasizing God's love and kind of downplaying our love. And that's because God's love has taken the initiative right? God, our love is important, but it's always God's love for us that precedes our love for God and our love for others. Love originates from him. He is the source of it. We love him because he first loved us. He chose to love us even before we had the capacity to love him. Just think about that for a second. The Bible tells us that God, before, before we were born, God chose us and he loved us. We had no capacity to love him back at that point. Love started with him, right? The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we see in scripture is we see that love originates from God. He's the source of it and it flows from him. He loves perfectly and he loves permanently. And those of us who have, who have experienced that love are powerfully changed by it. God is love. Notice it doesn't say love is God. It says God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And so let's define love here for a moment. Let's try to, to, to give some, some language to it. There's, there's theologians who have written about this. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, has a chapter on the love of God. And he defines the love of God as this. God's love is an exercise of his goodness towards individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior. And now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relation. 
a relationship. Another definition here by James Orr in the Hastings Bible Dictionary says, Love generally is that principle which leads one moral being to desire and delight in another and reaches its highest form in that personal fellowship in which each lives in the life of the other and finds his joy in imparting himself to the other and in receiving back the outflow of that other's affection unto himself. And so we are made for this. God has made us in his image to be image bearers, to receive, to be recipients of his love, right? To be recipients of his love and to be conduits of his love. And it's when we are both, we're both recipients of the love of God. We receive the love that he has for us and we freely give it out to others. That's when we experience fullness of life. That's when we, when we experience life hitting on all cylinders. That's when we experience the pleasure of God. That's when we come fully alive on the inside. When the love of God is not only flowing to us, but it's flowing through us. We are created for this, for loving community. And love is what we need to heal the brokenness in our lives. Some of us have some deep hurts and deep wounds from dysfunctional relationships where people have not reflected God well to us in our relationships. And we're scarred by it. And some of us still have the scabs and still have the open wounds of being hurt by others who haven't loved like God loves. And it's his perfect love that brings healing to those broken areas in our lives. It's as we see him for who he is that we're made whole. That we're healed and whole. And God reveals who he is in the scripture and through his son, Jesus Christ. We see this love displayed. Now let's look at Paul's definition of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, this is a well-known passage. He describes it as this. He says, love is patient. This is the NLT. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Is that convicting for anybody else? It is not irritable, especially parents, right, with young kids. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This is the kind of love that God calls us to have. This is the kind of love that God has for us. And this is the kind of love that he wants us to convey to others. The permanent love. The perfect love. And so we can look at, at, at Paul's definition or, or description of love. We could, we could read other authors, theologians who have tried to, tried to get a hold of the depth and the beauty, it's the simple yet profound reality of God's love for us. But we don't have to look any further than the Apostle John's description right here in 1 John 4, 10. He says, in this, the love of God was manifest among us. Okay, 
in the advent of Jesus and Jesus coming into this world, we see the love of God in the incarnation and in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We see the love of God revealed for us. In this, the love of God was manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Think about how much the father loves the son. Think about how great the sacrifice is that the father would send the son and that the son would willingly lay his life down for undeserving sinners who crucified him, who mocked him, who ridiculed him. And so we see love manifested through the person of Jesus Christ. We see the God of love has come down into our world to dwell among us, to show us what real love is, to show us what perfect love is. And it's changed everything for those of us who believe. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There's the purpose statement. See, Jesus came so that we might have life, abundant life and eternal life. And as we talked about last week, he who has the son has life. He's the source of it. He who does not have the son does not have life. It's, it's in a relationship with him, the source of life. And it's in a relationship with, with him, the source of love, that we experience this wholeness and this salvation that he longs to bring each of us. Verse 10 It says, in this love, not that we've loved God, didn't start with us, didn't originate with us. We didn't muster it up from ourselves. It came from him. It has flowed to us. We receive it. I can't give something to someone else that I haven't first received myself. I have to receive it first. We love because he's first loved us. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, we all know what propitiation is. And we all know how to pronounce it correctly. Don't we? It's in the Bible a handful of times. And if you're reading a modern translation, it just simply means atoning sacrifice. Okay? It's atoning sacrifice. Why Why would Jesus have to be an atoning sacrifice for us. Why would, why would John say that? Why does he have to connect that with love? Why can't John just leave it as God is love and he loves everyone? And Jesus, you don't have to die. Just come and show us how to love and be loved. Well, there's a problem. There's a problem called sin, right? And, and, and also the, the, the reality is, is that this is this, this statement, God is love, isn't the only statement we have about God. It's not the complete exhausted version of who God is. It's a very important part of who God is. And when you get down to the essence of his heart, that's who he is. He is love. God is love. But also we saw in chapter one last week, God is light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And light implies holiness, righteousness, and purity. God does what is right. He loves doing what's right, and he wants us to do what's right. He wants us to walk in the light, being honest and righteous and godly. 
But the reality is, is that we've all, we've all failed to do that. Have we not? We've all failed to love as we know we ought to. We've all failed to tell the truth every single time, completely honestly, right? We've all failed to measure up to God's holy standard. And so in the Old Testament, we see that God had these sacrifices that the Israelites would make on behalf of the Israelites when, 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 um, uh, that, that the priests would make on behalf of the Israelites whenever they would, would sin and whenever they would do wrong. And there were annual sacrifices. There were all these sacrifices of goats and bulls and all these sacrifices, right? And, and, and all those sacrifices serve, serve as the purpose of pointing, pointing forth to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus has done in being the propitiation for our sins. You see, Jesus never sinned and he died in our place and he, he bore the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment that we all deserve as sinners. And Jesus took it in our place by taking death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's when we, when we understand the backdrop of the bad news and how we have failed to live up to God's standard that the good news makes so much sense and it has its thrust and its life changing effects in us when we realize we need a savior because we're sinners and Jesus came to save sinners. Any sinners here today? If you're a sinner, Jesus came to save you. If you're not, any, anybody not a sinner here? No. Any liars here today? No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's what he, that's what we saw last week in first John. If anyone says I'm without sin or we have no sin, we, we're a liar and we make God to be out to lie. We're saying, God, you're a liar, right? But Jesus came as a savior for sinners and that's good news for each of us because we qualify. We qualify to be saved because Jesus came to save sinners. Became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love has come down. Amen. And so, why is this important? The, the message of salvation is, is, it's important that we get this right. Okay, I'm gonna read here. I'm gonna read here. This is what we have on our, our website as our statement of faith when we talk about salvation. Okay, and then I'll tell you why this is important. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins as the only sufficient sacrifice, offering the atonement of sins, offering the atonement for sin, of the sins for all mankind through his death, burial, and resurrection. While salvation is offered to all, it is only experienced by those who receive his gracious gift by faith apart from works. Those who have received the gift of salvation have become children of God and they are given a new nature and placed in the universal body of Christ and made eternally secure in him. And as a result of our new relationship with God through his son, Jesus, we are now called to a life of submission to the Holy Spirit, manifesting spiritual fruit and walking in good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And here's some scriptures there that you can look up. You can read this on our website. Now, why is this important? Why am I reading this right now? As we're talking about salvation and Jesus being the propitiation for our sin. 
The reason why is, is there's a couple reasons. One, one, first and foremost, is that other religions are going to, to, to err on this particular point that salvation is a free gift through Jesus Christ and Him alone, through His sacrifice alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. Right? Other religions, as Billy Graham described it, are all trying to work their way up to God by doing good, by, by meriting salvation, by good works, by good deeds. But Christianity is distinct. It's different in this, that in Christianity, God came down to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Deliver us, save us, rescue us, be the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins so that our sins can be washed away, made for, forgiven, and in the family of God forever. Jesus has made this happen. And it's a gift of grace. And all the other religions are trying to work their way up to God. And, and there, are, there are false versions of Christianity, if I can call them that, that'll come knocking on your door. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons. And they will preach a message of salvation by works. And the Bible makes it very clear. It's not by works. It's by grace. And it's through Jesus Christ alone. And we believe that in the person of Jesus Christ, we believe that he came as fully God and fully man. And he died for our sins to bring salvation. And we celebrate that this time of year. Love has come down. Salvation has come through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Jesus was born to die. He came in this world as a baby, sinless, lived a sinless life miraculously born of a virgin, right? Grew up, lived his life as a, as a human being. He had to learn things like, you know, he, uh, he had to learn all the things that little kids have to learn, right? Growing up. And, and, and he, he experienced pain. He experienced rejection. He became killable. So he took on flesh so that he could become killable and die in our place. This is what the propitiation is about love has come down and rescued us. We believe that and we receive that by faith. Now there's there's an effect of receiving this salvation, right? We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. For we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, right? We were saved by, by the grace of Jesus, but we're saved to do good. And, and this is expressed through our love for others. See, love is commanded of every Christian. God commands every Christian to love. And of course, it starts first with us receiving love. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Notice the ought there. Let us, we ought, and then it's very clear here, and this is the command we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is this has been displayed for us in the person of Jesus Christ, and this is demanded. This is demanded of our lives. What does this look like, this ought? Right? 
to live under this, we ought to love one another. That could feel like a heavy yoke if we're trying to do that in our own strength. If we're trying to muster up our own love to love others. But if we're first receiving the love of God for ourselves, we're going to have a flow. We're going to have a, a source to love others from. As one theologian says that, that as birds ought to fly, as fish ought to swim in the sea, as, as peaches ought to taste sweet, as lemons ought to taste sour, as hyenas ought to laugh, so the Christian is to love because love is from God and we are born of God. We have come to know God. This is the effects of being born again, of being brought into the family of God. We ought to love because God has loved us. And this is our joy. Love is the evidence of being a Christian. Whoever loves, John says, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now think about this. Now Jesus came into the world. He took on flesh and we got to see the one who's full of grace and truth. We got to see love incarnate. We got to see God incarnate in the person of Jesus. But where's Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He ascended back into heaven to be with the Father, right? And, and he's going to return. And he sent the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of us. And so now we are the ones who are dis to display heaven on earth, love on earth. You see, heaven is a world of perfect love. Heaven is a world, just ma imagine for a moment, a world with no sickness, no hatred, no war, no injustice, no, imp no oppression. Imagine that for a moment. That's what heaven's like. A world of perfect love. And heaven came down in the person of Jesus. Jesus brought the kingdom. He brought his reign on earth. And we got to behold his glory and, 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 and so, and he ascended back into heaven. And, and the scripture tells us that when we become a Christian, Romans 5, 5, that the Holy Spirit pours out into our hearts the love of God. We get God's love in our hearts because the Spirit comes to live inside of us. And this is what John says here. Similarly, he says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. You see, Jesus came to be with us forever, that we might be with him forever. And he dwelt among us, but he also ascended back into heaven. And, 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 and he's given us his spirit, his presence to dwell inside of us. And his love is evidence of his spirit in us. His love that we have helps others see, those who can't see the invisible God in this world. It helps others to see what God is like when they see love working through our lives. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. 
if you love one another as I have loved you. John goes on down in verse 20. He says, if anyone loves, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God. I'm, I'm sorry. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The invisible God, right? And so what John is, is exposing false versions of, of Christianity. He's exposing this notion that we can, we can be a Christian and not have any love at all. John makes it very clear. This is the third time, uh, and, and he keeps going back to this idea of love and the importance of it, that, he, that he's addressing it within his letter. And so love, God is love, and the, those who are born of God will love. As a compass points north, as a compass points north, so the child of God will love. To, to confirm the, the, the change that has, that has occurred on the inside. John also, he, he has three different tests within his epistle. He has the test of doctrine. He says if, if anyone's from God, they're going to uh, confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh at the beginning of chapter 4. And he also says this. He says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Okay, so the test of doctrine. But then there's also the, the social test, the test of living in relationships. He says, so that we've come to, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. Whoever abides in love abides in God. So true doctrine and true living are both uh, indicators of somebody who has experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ. And this is our witness as well to a lost world, to those who don't know God, to those who need to see God, those who need to know what is God like. F.F. Bruce says, the love of God displayed in his people is the strongest apologetic God has in the world. The strongest apologetic that God has in the world. Just think about the life of Jesus and the impact that he has had on the caring for the poor, okay, for the last 2,000 years. And his followers who have cared for the poor, for the sick, for the disabled, for, for the, the, the marginalized. Jesus moved towards those who were most needy, most hurting, most broken. And he brought healing and wholeness to them. And his followers have, have done the same because this is the way of Jesus. And, and, and his message has changed the world in so many ways. He's made an impact on the world. That's, that's one of the reasons why Christi- Christianity is one of the largest religions in the world. And of course, it's more than just the religion. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Charles Hodge says this, that the church has no more effective way to testify to the world about the saviorhood of Jesus than by the redisplay of the Savior's love in the fellowship of his disciples. We value that here. That's a part of our vision to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. We value loving community, living out the one another's and committed relationships together. One of the places we do this is in community groups. We love, uh, we, we encourage every person to participate in those and be a part of those so that you can love and be loved and know and be known. And be known more than just on a Sunday morning, but go deeper in relationship and, and, and seek to live life and do life together with loving community. And lastly, five points today. I apologize, um, but we're almost there. Love gives us confidence and conquers fear. Love gives us confidence and conquers fear. It assures our hearts as John says earlier on in his epistle, when we love not in just word and deed, but not in just word, but in deed and truth, it assures our hearts before him, right? And so he says this, 1 John four seventeen and 18, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love you see receiving the love of god that he has for us and allowing it to transform our lives and flow through us and we live in that love we abide in that love it affirms and assures us we belong to god we're children of god and we're his children forever in his family forever and when we see him we don't live under the cloud the dark cloud of judgment that we deserved Because Christ has taken the judgment. And we don't have to fear death. It's appointed for man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear judgment day. Because our sins have been washed away. And Jesus is our righteousness. John said in 1 John 2, he said, Little children, I've written these things to you that you may not sin. But if you do sin... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Wow. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, right? Jesus is not only our atoning sacrifice, but he is our advocate, our lawyer. Though we deserve death row, Jesus took our place and he takes up our case and he defends us by giving us his righteousness freely through faith. And this gospel of grace gives us confidence on the day of judgment. Having the love of God work deep into our soul, into our lives. As we approach that day, we have confidence and it conquers fear. Fear of torment, fear of judgment. Because Christ has taken our place. It casts out fear. Are you a person who struggles with fear and anxiety? 
perhaps it's a deeper grasp of the love of God that you need to flood your soul and to push out the fears and anxieties that you feel. Makes all the difference when you know God is for you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He is for you. He's in your corner. He's not against you. He's not seeking to condemn you. Jesus didn't, God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world. But he came to save the world. That's his heart. That's the gospel message. Charles Wesley, in his well-known hymn, And Can It Be, beautifully says it, describes the love of God. He says, And can it be amazing love? How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my God, should die for me. Amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my God, should die for me. December 12th, 1998, I experienced the love of God in a life-changing way. I became a Christian and put my trust in Jesus. And I came with all kinds of guilt, shame, and brokenness. And I knew I deserved hell. And I didn't want to go there. I was afraid of going to hell. And I knew I needed Jesus to be my savior. And I trusted in Jesus. December 12th, 1998, as a 16-year-old little thug, pants, pants hanging down, big old chain, and just trying to be cool at a Christian rap concert, breakdance concert, I was invited up to receive Christ. My hands in the air. That's, that's typically what, that's a sign of surrender for those who are getting arrested. That was my, before I became a Christian. Then, then I was, I was doing that as a sign of surrender to Jesus, not the police. And tears just rolled down my cheek. And I had so much pain and so much hurt and it, it just balled up inside. I hadn't cried for years. My father died when I was 15 and my brother died when I was 13. And my mom who was here this morning was, was addicted to drugs and our life was just broken and hopeless. And Christ broke into the history, history of my life. And I just began to weep like I've never wept before and first out of pain because I had so much hurt. Like just tears of pain. But then those tears changed in that hour from pain to joy. And it felt so good just rushing down like rivers just down my cheeks because I was experiencing the perfect love of God and God was accepting me. God forgave me. God redeemed me and he made me new. And all of a sudden I had hope and, and I came alive on the inside when I had no hope. And I had no love and I had no joy and no life, no purpose. I was just aimlessly wandering around in this world, getting into trouble. And Christ broke into the history of my life. And you know what? I couldn't help but going around and telling others about Jesus' love. 
I mean, everywhere I would go, I would say, hey, Jesus loves you. And like I had to get the message out so much that I, I, I while I was driving down the road, I had to redeem the time. And, and I made a little cardboard sign that said, Jesus loves you. And I kept it on my dashboard. And I covered my the back of my little Toyota Celica with all kinds of bumper stickers about Jesus. One of them said, I never fly, I never drive faster than my angels can fly. I drove that little car around real fast. But I wanted everybody to know about God's love. I just wanted to tell everyone, even while I'm sitting there at the stoplight, honk my horn and look over and smile real big and hold up my sign and, and smile and say, hey, Jesus loves you. And, 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 and you know what? I haven't, I have, I still am passionate about people coming to know the love of Jesus. That's why I'm a pastor. Because I'm passionate about you coming to know Jesus in a deep, profound, life-changing way. And I'm passionate about you taking that message of the gospel and sharing with others about how much love God has displayed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know his love and I want the world to know his love and want the world to believe that he is the savior of the world. And so let me close with a couple points of application here. This Christmas season, one of the Advent themes is love. Love came down. So reflect on that. Reflect on what manner of love that God has for you. Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And we are. We really are his children. He's made us his children. And we're in the family. Believe that God really does love you perfectly and permanently. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that nothing, he's convinced, death or life, angels or demons, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He has loved us perfectly and he has loved us and he loves us permanently. It's not going to change. If God set his love upon us before we were even born and we didn't we didn't elicit his love for us we didn't make him love us by being lovable he loved us before we were even born and he loved us when we were in our worst moments i mean i don't you can think about your worst moment when you felt the lowest when you were most ashamed and most guilty of, of the things you've done god's love for you didn't change at all the depth of it, how strong and real and powerful it is. Pray that God would help you grasp by the help of the Spirit the depth of God's love for you. That's what Ephesians 3, Paul prays this for the church. We've been praying this for City Church Garland this week. That we would be able to grasp the depth and the width and the height of God's love that passes knowledge, that we would get it. You see, Paul knew that the people of God need help getting it because we struggle. We struggle listening to the lies of the enemy, the accusations of Satan, who's called the accuser of the brethren, who points the finger at us, who challenges, are you really a son or a daughter of God? And we need God's help to grasp that and know his love, to know God personally intimately and accurately and lastly share the message of god's love and show tangible acts of love 
tell others this Christmas season. What a great time to tell others about Christ. To witness. Here's what I want to challenge us to do. Target somebody. Get them on your hit list. Your loving hit list. That this season you're going to show some acts of kindness and love to them. You're going to target them in prayer. Target them in showing some kind of loving deed that says you matter, I love you, God loves you, God sees you, God cares. And purpose to share the good news of the gospel with them, especially if they're an unbeliever. Purpose to share that good news and show that good news in your good deeds. Amen. If you all would bow with me in prayer. Father, this morning, we acknowledge our need for your help. Our help to understand you and know your heart for us. Deliver us from just knowing about you and not really knowing you personally, intimately, and accurately. Set us free from the fears that rise from believing lies. May the truth set us free, knowing the truth and believing the truth. May we know and believe the love that you have for us. May we rely on it, not on our own love that we can muster up, but may we rely on your love. You're the source.